Good morning, church. If you have got your Bibles with you, can we together turn to the apostolic epistle to the church at Colossae? And we will read exactly the same passage of scripture that we read last Lord's Day. And it's in Colossians and chapter 1. Colossians and chapter 1. And we will read about five or so verses, starting from verse 24. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. I commence reading. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his sense. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Oh, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Ends our textual reading for our consideration this morning. As my initial step this morning, and as a way of introduction, because I am dealing with one and the same passage of scripture and as I had promised last week that I will finish God willing this week. It is therefore incumbent that I make a recap so that when I start today's message we shall all be on the same page. We shall move as it were to borrow the political language in tandem, whatever that means. We shall discuss and move together in tandem. So a recap a bit of what we said last week. Last week we made an emphasis that the discourse upon this passage of scripture will actually be centered on a theme and that theme shall be saved in order to save. Saved in order 
to be of service as a Christian to both God and fellow men, and in particular, men of the household of God. And in trying to discuss on that particular theme, using this particular passage of scripture, we said that we were going to use verses 26 and 27 as our springboard of the sermon last week and of the sermon this week. And indeed, when we were looking at verses 26 and 27, we said that the reasons we can draw from those two verses, why we as Christians who have been saved by grace, not by works, is that we are saved to perform and do the works that God has foreordained for us to do. And we said we are supposed to do that and the pleasure should be ours in doing that because we hold a mystery as saved children of God, we are mystified within and without with this mystery which has been revealed for, to us. This is the generation that has been privileged to know and fully understand and appreciate this, is, this mystery. And that mystery is that they Gentiles have now been reconciled to God. The bridge of hostility, the shazim, if you want to put it that way, that existed between the non-Jews and God, and indeed between the non-Jews, the Gentiles, and the Jews, has now been torn asunder. The access to the throne of God, to the Holy of Holies, to the heavenly tabernacle where the God of glory sits is now open to both Jews and Gentiles. So, we said there is no female or male, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor. We are all accepted in the beloved through the sacrificial death, through the penal, through this vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that mystery. And because we have that mystery, dear friends, we are to as it were be glad and excited and noise it abroad within the nations Jesus says, Jesus says, even them that are Gentiles, they have access to the throne of God. That's the message. And we should hear it loud and clear. Write it on the board. Write it on our foreheads. Yes, everywhere where we go, our duty should be Jesus says, Jesus says. 
Our song should be, we have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. But not only that, we said this mystery carries with it great riches. And we went into details to look at those uh, riches. And we said, because of those riches, we cannot afford to let them rot. We need to pick them up, hurry them, and share them with the perishing world and the dying world. Because those riches are so grand, are so great, are so precious. They are a darling, not only to Christ Jesus himself, but to God of very gods. He cannot afford to see those riches of this mystery going to waste. And who has he chosen so that we display and noise abroad those riches? The saints of God. The saved of God. Them that have said, I know you as my Lord and my Savior. We have been given that task. But also, we said that it is a command. We are commanded that in view of this revealed mystery, we are commanded to go and do it. Proclaim, warn, and teach with all manner of wisdom the reason that we might present each man mature as it were, perfect as it were, in Christ Jesus our Lord upon his appearing. So I stopped at that point, if you remember well. If you can't remember, you were not here. I stopped at that point and said, this morning, I would want to draw your attention, dear friends, madams and sons, brothers and sisters, the youth and the children. May you lend me your ears this morning so that I bring to your attention one more reason why Christians ought to be busy serving God and serving fellow men after being saved, as drawn from the passage of scripture that we have read. And I promised last week that I will go backwards. Uh, I have been contaminated a bit by the Zemba dance, that it is affecting the way I even plan my sermons. When they say forward manamayo, they are saying backwards you go. And that's what exactly I'm doing. Forward manamaya, but backwards I'm going. So let's draw our attention then to verses 24 and 25. And I want from there to give you just one reason why when we get saved, we should be prompted not only be prompted, but we should be attracted. But not only attracted, but we should be zealous, energetic to serve God and to serve his people. And the reason is this, to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. I'm getting it from 
verse 24. Let's read that particular verse. I'm getting that reason from verse 24. To fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And the passage says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I, Paul, became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Therefore, my task this morning is simple, just to bring to the fore that we have another task before us. We have another duty before us to which the apostle would want to draw our attention to, to which he is saying, take heed, there is this other duty to which you should avail yourself, to which you should be readily available to embrace, capture, and sojourn with it in your Christian life. And that is to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, for me to fully discourse on that particular task that is before us, or that particular duty, or that particular service, I would want you to draw your attention and for you to get notice of three things. Three things that we are going to discuss in view of that duty of fulfilling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. And these are, number one, let's draw the meaning of that duty. What does it mean to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Not unless we understand the meaning of that phraseology there and where it is pointing to, we will not embrace its actual duty. So I would want to explain the meaning of that. Then secondly, I would want us to see the joy of that duty. The joy of that duty of filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Then when you hear me use the word the success of that duty, that will be my third point to which you should say, yeah, alright? Then my last one will be the success of that service or that duty. I hope we are together. Then let's look at number one, the meaning of that duty. What does it mean to fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Now, when the Apostle Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, he does not imply, listen to me well here, he does not imply 
that the redemptive work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was deficient. He is not saying that that which Christ accomplished on the cross by dying for us was not efficacious in its entirety to bring salvation to mankind. No, no, no. He is not even implying that that work was in one way or the other inept to the extent that we need something extra to fully satisfy the demands of the law and be accepted by the Father. No, no, it does not mean that. Now, the redemptive work of Christ, dear friends, from the first page of Scripture to the last page of Scripture is penned down to us, proving in no uncertain terms that the work of Christ in dying for us at the cross of Calvary was complete in totality. It was complete and it is Christ and Christ alone who accomplished that work. Therefore, there remains no more extra suffering to be undergone by any of his people to have redemption to its full measure. The price, dear friends, has already been paid by Christ. <laughs> the cup of suffering, both or the triple, at Gabatha, at Gogotha, and in Gethsemane, the cup of suffering was drunk to its last dregs. Remember at Gabatha, the judgment was passed. The verdict was upon him. In the garden of Gethsemane, there was no much suffering as would drop sweat like drops of blood. There was no much suffering as would call the Son of Man to say, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? It was enough suffering that called the Son of Man to say to the Father, that let this cup pass away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. What more suffering could have mankind, apostle, prophet, priest, king, Christian, could have done to appease that wrath of God, save that suffering of the Son of Man in the Garden of Gethsemane. But what about the crown of that suffering at Calvary? When men mocked him, when men wagged their heads like tails of dogs, when men would insult him and say he saved the others, why can't he save himself? When on that cruel cross, even a robber, a thief, Kazolo, Tanyam, could be able to point at him and say, 
Hey, fella, why are we suffering here? Come on, man, bring us down. I'm, I'm sure you, you might have an, an, an American accent. <laughs> bring us down here. Such was the insults that were heaped on him. That even as he was dying, you were expecting soldiers to be men of valor in war, but they were men in valor at the cross. You remember? When they brought that sponge and says he is calling for Elijah. That was the discourse among them. And then they brought the sponge full of vinegar. And he drank his last and his words were titles die. It is finished. Dear friends, if that suffering, if that agony, if that pain, if that excruciating pain was not able to take away the sin of the world, then what could? I put a thesis to you and say this. It was more than able to do far more exceeding than we think or imagine. And how far more exceeding than we think or imagine is that a sinner such as you and me could be saved by grace and grace alone. Dear friends, so when the Apostle Paul says he is afflicted in his flesh, being the affliction felt in the members of his body and alludes it to the affliction of Christ, he is simply saying that because of the union that we have with Christ, and indeed every believer should have that union, when he suffers as the servant of Christ, Christ also suffers with him. In the same vein, dear friends, when his body, the church of God, suffers, and when it goes through schisms and isms, when it goes through tribulations and persecutions, when it goes through hardships, Christ is there. Christ is there. Indeed, and that, dear friends, can be inferred from the words of the Apostle Paul himself at conversion. In Acts chapter 9, verse 4 to 5. And the Bible says there, and, up and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, to the Apostle Paul, then he was Saul, as we call him in Nyanja. So, so, why persecuted thou me? Was he persecuting Christ? Or was he persecuting the church and dragging the saints into prison? Yes, he was. But the Lord says, so, so, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuted. 
Therefore, the implication and the inference drawn from their dear friends is this. When the church of God suffers, Christ suffers. When the saint suffers, Christ suffers. Dear friends, the meaning, the short and long of this is that when Paul says that I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, what he really just means is that he is laboring to spread the gospel through strife and affliction in his flesh. And that's what he has been doing. Remember that how he was afflicted everywhere where he went in trying to preach the gospel? He was not only afflicted corporately, but more so he was afflicted individually. He narrates his affliction in one of his letters of how many times he was whipped, of how many times he had shipwrecks, of how many times he was thrown into prison, of how many times he was slept hungry, and in all these things, in his afflictions, what he is saying is that I am with this affliction fulfilling that which Christ was supposed to fulfill and is fulfilling through his atoning work. Paul is filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction by going out to secure what Jesus' afflictions purchased, namely a blood-bought bride, which is the church of God. This service or duty, my dear friends, should be the darling and the love of all saints. I will explain further why I am saying that. This duty of being afflicted, of feeling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ should be the darling and should be the love, should be the very companion, should be the walking stick, as it were, of all the saints. It has been in the time past. It shall be in the future. It ought to be now that when we get saved, we should know, dear friends, that afflictions will fall us. Afflictions will follow us. Suffering will follow us. And when they follow us and when we go through them, remember it's our duty to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ Jesus our Lord. So I hope in a nutshell we do understand what this filling up of these afflictions are supposed to be. And if we understand that well, we should be able, like saints of old, when they find themselves in troubled waters, they will be able to pen down sentences like this. It is well. It is well with my soul. Why? It is their duty. And it is not only their duty, 
but you will see as I go on that it is a joyous duty. And that's why they could be able to pain and say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Let's, let's get on then to the next point. We have seen the meaning of this duty. But let's go to the joy of the duty. To the joy of the duty. Notice in verse 24 what he says. Notice what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. An enigmatic statement indeed, isn't it? Who is it that rejoices in suffering? Who is it? We all know that sufferings are an aboring eventuality in our lives. Whenever we suffer, our first word in our mouth is not praise the Lord, hallelujah, I'm rejoicing. Who has ever said that? Who? When we are suffering, what is our first word? Why me, Lord? What is our first word? Why in a nature like this? What is the first? We should never make another That's exactly. Why is he not suffering? Why is he not suffering? You know, when a priest, I am suffering. And when look at what the Apostle Paul is saying, he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering. Shut up. I'm sure we would easily say that, won't we? But he says, It is the joy of my life to suffer. It is the joy of my life. To be afflicted. It is the joy of my life that when I walk as a saint and I meet all the raging storms of life, mine is to raise up arms and say hallelujah. Mine is to behave like a Pentecostal and say what the Lord has done for me, I cannot tell it all. Hmm. Quite a hard teaching, isn't it? Yes, quite a hard teaching for faces have dropped down. Uh, but we, you are human, I understand. We are human, I understand. Rejoice, rejoice, oh Christian! As the apostle would encourage us. Now, why, why, why is this fellow rejoicing? Why is he giving us? Why is he giving us something that is very opposite to what life is supposed to be? We only rejoice if there is something nice, isn't it? Okay? Good clothes. Good place where to sleep. Good food. Good car. Good whatever. Good everything. Then we will say, hallelujah. God is blessing me. Oh, yes, surely. 
It doesn't mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't say, hallelujah, God is blessing us. We ought to, but with the same vein and with the same tongue and with the same mind and with the same lips. When we are suffering, we should be able to say, I rejoice. And the reasons are threefold. Is there a word like threefold? I only hear twofold. Threefold, eh? Yes. The reasons that I'm going to advance are threefold. Why is the apostle rejoicing in these afflictions? Number one, the joy lies in this, that the duty is for the good of others. Notice, the joy, why the Apostle Paul says, it is my joy to undertake this duty in affliction, even though this duty embodies suffering. Yet, I rejoice. Because it is done for the sake of others. Notice what he says. Now, I rejoice in my suffering. For what? For my sake? For my good? For my enjoyment? For your sake. He has at the heart what his sufferings will bring to the other sense. What the joy of his sufferings will bring to the other sense. He suffers. He is being afflicted because there are far better things that will be enjoyed by other sense. Redemption is one of them. The riches of the mystery of Christ is the other one. Eternal life is the other one. And when the apostle thinks and says, I am in pain, I am in affliction, I am being whipped, he says, but joy is mine because my afflictions, my sufferings, my weepings are for the good of the other. What a remote remote thought that does not occupy our minds. In the age and era where speech is always me, I, and myself, the joy of others is often overlooked and put aside. Who is it that sacrifices and says, I will be afflicted for the sake of the others? But the Apostle Paul says, this joy actually is for the benefit of the others. It is for the good of the others. Dear friends, if that's the case, we ought to rejoice in our sufferings. We ought to rejoice in our afflictions. We ought to rejoice when we fill up. When we fill up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. He says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. Christians at Corinth, I have great pride in you. I have great joy in you. I have. Let me make it up. That's what he's saying. Though I'm being afflicted, but you get the point. 
Ndeme kana kumeka I am proud of you I am filled with comfort listen to these words in all our affliction I am flowing with what joy Why Church at Corinth the benefits that the church at Corinth has because of the sufferings of the apostle Paul Listen again to what he says to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17. He says this, even if I am to be poured out as a drink, in other words, even, even if I had to suffer, even if I had to suffer, poured out as a drink offering upon the, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. I, 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 I'm, really, I'm, I'm really quite not sure why this apostle uses one and the same word. I thought being glad is rejoicing. I thought that's good English. You should have just said, I am glad for all of you, or I rejoice for. But for the sake of emphasis, you is one and the same thing it comes from the root word but you see the emphasis that it makes you get the point you are saying the same word but the emphasis carries another meaning and that's exactly what the apostle Paul is saying that even if i'm receiving lashes on my back even if i am being persecuted even if i go hungry but i am why nintemwa nintemwisha sana why i am flowing with joy because this filling up of the afflictions in my body is meant for you christian friend here is an encouragement for you when the saints go under affliction for the sake of Christ and for his glory rejoice not only for the sake of his glory but rejoice also for the sake of the beneficiaries of your afflictions who are the ecclesia the chosen ones of God but let me move to the second reason why he rejoices in his suffering He rejoices in his suffering because the joy lies in this that this duty of filling up the affliction in Christ's afflictions is a duty that comes about as a stewardship from God. It is a duty that comes as a stewardship from he says in the latter part of the passage there says of which i became a minister according to the stewardship from god that was given to me dear friends the point the apostle is making here is that the custodianship of this duty of filling up what was lacking in christ's afflictions was conferred to him by God by virtue of that confinement 
Joy never stops bubbling in his heart. Those that are students, you will realize this one better, isn't it? You will realize better when you are graduate. Okay? When you are graduate. You see, when you are a student, assignments, tests, exams, reading, it's, it's an affliction. <laughs> that, that's what my students always say, we are being afflicted. It's your duty to be afflicted. <laughs> it's your duty to be afflicted. But look at the joy on the graduation day. When that certificate is conferred upon you. What does it speak to you? I think the afflictions are forgotten, isn't it? Yeah. There are more afflictions in the field. Past <laughs> and parents, we jump with joy and we are. Why do we jump with. We know for our sake. You get the point. She has graduated not only for his or her own benefit, but for the benefit also of their parents. You have to rejoice. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now his confirmment of that duty, this is to certify that I, God, Yahweh, I would love to have such a certificate. I would love to have that. Where his signature is, I confer upon you this stewardship so that you are afflicted to fill up the afflictions of Christ. Now, that's, that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. That's why he's rejoicing. Look at Acts chapter 15, chapter 9. Look at Acts chapter 9. And here is what he says there. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 to 16. He says, But the Lord said to him, it was Ananias here that the Lord was talking to. This Ananias, the Apostle Paul has been saved and he has to go to Ananias so that he sees again. And Ananias, his knees are knocking together. And he's saying, Lord, please get him away from my house. I didn't become a Christian so that I can get arrested by this man. And the Lord says to Ananias, Go, Ananias. Go. Go, Ananias. For this poor is a chosen instrument. I've conferred stewardship on him, isn't it? He is a chosen instrument of mine. I've conferred that certificate on him. And what does he confer? He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Oh, why? For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You see where the confirmation is coming from? God himself. Dear friends, when you get saved, God says, stewardship, 
of this duty is on you. And therefore, rejoice, 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 all Christian. Carry it and say, you record, as I said last week. Carry it and say, I have graduated. Carry it and say, I'll be a worker. Carry it and say, the joys of this confinement are mine and mine and mine. But he also says the same in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8 and part of verse 11. Telling young Timothy, he says this, uh, Therefore, uh, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, nor of my sufferings as a prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer. That's why I suffer. That's why I suffer as I do. And that's why he rejoiced. How this is, 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 is so remote in our minds that when we become Christians and we are conferred with this stewardship, we ought to suffer for the sake of Christ. It's too remote in our minds. And we don't fully understand and appreciate it. Dear friends, the duty of being of service to God and man should not only be received with joy, but executed with rejoicing because when we get saved, God confers upon us a mandate of service. But thirdly, why should we rejoice when executing this mandate of filling up what is lacking in Christ's suffering? The reason is simple. The third reason is the joy lies in this that it makes the word of God fully known. Look at what he says. The latter part, the latter part of verse 25, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What he's saying is this. I am filling up Christ's afflictions and I am rejoicing in doing that because it makes the word of God fully known. My sufferings, my afflictions, my agonies, they are a vehicle. They are the conduit. They are the way by which this word of God is fully made known to people. In the sufferings is made known the word of God by proclamation and deeds. Listen to the, own, to, to the apostle's own testimony regarding this. That his suffering was actually meant for the good of the word of God. And he says that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. And this is what the scriptures say in that portion. 
I want you to know, brothers, says the apostle, that what has happened to me has really saved to advance the gospel. He's in prison, this character. He is suffering. He is incarcerated. He is under God. And he says, brethren, uh, uh, don't worry much. Here is a point of rejoicing. Here is a point of partying. Let's party. And why we should party is this, that my imprisonment, my suffering has saved to advance the gospel. How has it done that? So that it has become known throughout the imperial guard and to all the rest that am I, I in prison with me. They have listened to the word of God. They have heard the word of God. They have no excuse whatsoever without which if I was not in prison, they wouldn't have, but they have. And that's why I rejoice, but much more. Here is what it does. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bored to speak the word without fear. Shouldn't that cause rejoicing? Shouldn't that cause rejoicing? It should. And that's why the, Lord, the Apostle Paul was rejoicing. Oh, remember their incarceration also with that Pharaoh called Barnabas. And in the night they are singing songs. They are praising God. What kind of characters are you? Oh, you're supposed to be mourning there. Huh? You are supposed to be binding and loosening all the prisoners including the inspector of police, bind him and loosen all the doors of the prison so that you walk out. Nay, in there they are rejoicing. Hallelujah. They were not singing Rock of Ages. It wasn't composed that time. Uh, no, uh, they were. They might have been singing a psalm, maybe. You know? They might have been singing a psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And suddenly, because of their joy and praise and worship of this heavenly king, the doors are flung open. And you know that that's, that those were the first converts in Macedonia, isn't it? Save Lydia. The second was the jailer. And why can he not rejoice? His incarceration was meant for the joy of others. The jailer is saved. Oh, not only the jailer and his household saved. Dear friends, the joy should come in because it makes the word of God fully known. But let me tackle my last point. The success of the duty. The success of the duty. We looked at the meaning. We looked at the joy. And now the success of the duty. Two things that come out of the success of the duty. And they are spelled to us in verse 29. Two things we can notice 
out of the success of the duty. And these two are that the success of the duty is not so much dependent on human abilities. And secondly, the success of the duty is driven by God's energy and power. Do you know that one of the most stumbling things that we will ever encounter as human beings when we face sufferings and tribulations is to think that we can do away with them by using our own human abilities? That's the most stumbling block. And therefore, when we sit and ponder our sufferings, when we sit and ponder over our afflictions, our answer lies in this. What am I going to do? Is that not so? It is. It is. Men, men in particular, we are... We, we are very vulnerable to that, isn't it? Uh, despite having wives. Despite <laughs> having wives in the home. But you, you, when you are in trouble, uh, you oftentimes don't say, what are we going to do? Huh? But you are two of you. I, I, don't know, I don't know why we really get wives at a particular point in time. But we do, huh? Eh? We do. If ever we bring them in, what am I going to do? And that's our weakest point, and we do that to God as well. That when we are stressed, and when we are in agony, and when we are in pain, and when we are being afflicted for the sake of Christ, yeah, for the sake of the gospel, you know what we do? What am I going to do? But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in verse 29 of the same chapter we were reading. Look at him, what he says, For this I toil. Okay? For this I toil. Struggling with oil. If you have this Bible that is like mine, with all his, not mine, struggling with all his strength, with all his energy. Now, that energy, he qualifies that energy. It is an atomic bomb. Because that energy, he qualifies it in this way, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. No, no, wonder, no wonder the doxology, no wonder the apostolic doxology in Romans. What can separate us from the love of God? What can? And he enumerates all those things. But he says, I am convinced. I am convinced. Neither mm, no, uh, mm, mm. Uh, but these days we are convinced of some things that can separate us from the love of God. Very sure. Very convinced. What can separate us from the love of God? Who Joshi? And the apostle Paul said, no, 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 no. The depths and heights, heaven and earthly. Nothing. Why? Because when we toil, 
and he is acknowledging the fact that these things will be with us. We will toil. We will struggle. We will under stress and under pain. But the more we toil, the more we struggle, the more we know that he is going to ignite that energy that so powerfully works within us. And it is because of his doing. It is because of his doing that we can succeed, dear friends, in this duty of filling up the afflictions of Christ. It is because it is him who helps us. It is him who cranks us, so to say. It is him who ignites us. He is the very engine. He is the very anchor. As the songwriter would say, we have one anchor that keeps the soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm. Deep in the Savior's love. Dear friends, are, are you scared of this duty? That affliction will come upon you. And that you will fail him. And that you will retire on the way. And that you will, with all your energies, fail to accomplish that. Be ye encouraged. The battle is for the Lord. Let me repeat that. The great warrior in front of the battle is not Uriah. The great warrior in front of the battle is not David. The great warrior in front of the battle is not the catapult. The great warrior in front of the battle is not the stones. The God that directs the stone. Dear friends, let me say this by quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 to 10. For I am the least of the apostles, he says, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary. I worked harder than any one of the... He's confusing us, this man. Listen to what he says. I worked harder than any one of them. And what was he supposed to do? Stop there and say... He was supposed to stop there, isn't it? I went harder than all of them. You get the point? Who has seen affliction like me? Who has worked for the Lord like me? Who is it that can boast of the workings equal to mine? But listen to the humility of this man. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I. But the grace of God that was in me. He nullifies the first and qualifies the latter. 
he acknowledged the first, displaces it with the second. I hope that's your attitude. And that will be your attitude. I hope that's your attitude. And that is your attitude. Again, he says this. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Did you hear that? Acknowledge the first, nullifies it by the latter. Eh? I was whipped. Uh-huh. I was shipwrecked. Uh-huh. I was preaching. Uh-huh. I did the very best above all. And I'm sure by saying all, oh, he is referring to men like Cephas. Those were entangled by wives. I did much better than. Not I. Did you see the, the, the confusion? There's confusion there, isn't it? But it's good confusion. It elevates God. And it lowers man. And it marries together with what the Apostle John would say. That he might increase. He might decrease. Let me conclude by saying this. Number one. And this my conclusion includes what I said last week. Number one. Let us all take heed to the injunction. We have been saved in order to save. Let each one of us be a partaker in this noble service. God through Christ is in the business of reconciling all men to himself. Let us, as those amidst the men, be willing vessels for God to use in this task. Dear brethren, we possess treasure in these jars, and this treasure we should share with the others. But secondly, Let's take advantage of every opportunity, dear friends, to proclaim, to warn, and to teach everyone. It is a noble duty and a pleasing task to God and man by which the revealed mystery will spread to the uttermost end of the world. For we are a privileged people whom God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And lastly, dear friends, let us rejoice in our service because our duty is not only full of joys, but its success is certain because God is with us. Uh, may we go in this vineyard of God wholeheartedly so that we might come home bringing in the sheaves 
in fact rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. May it be each one of us motive, intention, and good ideal that when the Son of Man comes, he will find us busy in the vineyard of God. May God bless you. And thank you so much for paying particular attention. Thank you.